Our first reading is from the Old Testament, from Psalm 2. And if you want to follow this reading in the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 543. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Our second reading this morning is taken from the New Testament, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. And we're going to be reading from verses 13 to 23. And you'll find this reading on page 966 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, We continue the, uh, the what happened next, I suppose, of the Magi's visit to Jesus. Verse 13 of chapter 2. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, 
and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. May God bless to us these readings from his word. Great, well let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Lord, thank you for your word, the Bible. Lord, please help us to understand it. And not just to understand it, but to believe it and act upon it today and forever. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder, can you remember a time when you had to choose a side to be on? Can you remember a time when you had to choose a side to be on? Perhaps it was something this Christmas. Perhaps you were playing games around the the table after your Christmas dinner and you had to choose what side you were going to be on. Sometimes it can be hard to, to choose sides. I remember growing up, one of the hardest decisions I had to make as a young boy was which football team I was going to choose to be my, my team. And you see, I had this dilemma. On one side, there, there was the family tradition. Now, my dad, my granddad, my great-granddad are all North Londoners, and they're all Tottenham Hotspur Spurs fans, you see. Shh, be quiet, Simon. <laughs> and, but all of my friends at school were Man United fans, and you can see why, because in the early 90s, they were winning everything. So who do I go with? Do I choose to sign and be loyal to my family? My chances of glory were certainly at the time pretty slim, and if you're a Spurs fan, well, chances of glory are probably still pretty slim today. Or Man United, and well, you're guaranteed you know, to win the double and all, all this wonderful stuff. Do I want my glory maybe in the future, or do I want it now? And this passage obviously isn't talking about football, but it asks us that kind of question. Which side are we going to choose? Do we want glory now? Are we putting all our investments in things now? Or actually are we prepared to wait for something better? Something in the future? And the passage that we've just had read to us sets this up as two kings and two kingdoms. A king on earth and the kingdom of earth and God's king and the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of earth is all about my rule. It's about doing things my way. I'm the king, and I'm going to decide how I'm going to live and what I'm going to do. But God's kingdom is all about God's rule and what he wants for my life. So that's what we're going to be thinking about today. Which decision do we make? Our rule or God's rule? God's kingdom or our kingdom. You see, Christmas means that God has sent us a king. That's why the shepherds went to see this newborn baby king. That's why the Magi travelled to see him. They knew that a king had been born. And I don't know about you, but in one sense it should seem a very obvious choice to make. The rule now ends when we die. We've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes this year and that makes it clear that in two, three generations no one's going to remember us. You see, our earthly rule ends when we die but God's kingdom goes on forever, forever into eternity. It seems like an obvious choice, doesn't it? But a lot of people choose this kingdom. They want to rule their lives. They don't want God telling them what to do. So I think it's fitting as as we finish this year and we're looking towards 2018, which side 
do I want to be on? It should be an easy choice, but the passage shows us that it's not always as easy as we might think. You see, why would someone choose the kingdom of earth over the kingdom of God? We're going to be using our our psalm reading, Psalm 2, to help us to understand what's going on with Herod. So you can keep one thumb in Psalm 2, but the words will be coming up on the screen screen as well. So the first question, which is what the psalmist asks at the beginning of Psalm 2, is why do the nations conspire? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Well, firstly, we see that there is a conflict. There is a conflict between our kingdom and us ruling, setting ourselves up as king, and God's kingdom. There is a conflict. And in Matthew chapter 2, just before our reading, we've had the Magi, these, these wise men, if you can picture the nativity, people with uh, carrying gold and frankincense and myrrh or dressed up in, in parents' tea towels. They're, they're coming to the nativity, to this crib scene. to to bring the newborn baby Jesus' presence, because they've heard that a new king, the king of the Jews, has been born. And when they go to the place that they would expect to find a king in Jerusalem, the capital city, and they go to the palace, the place they would expect to find the king, but instead they find Herod. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, why would Herod and and Jerusalem be disturbed? Why would they be terrified or scared of the birth of a baby boy? You see, this boy was no ordinary boy. This was the king of the Jews. This was God's chosen king, his Messiah. And what did the Messiah come to bring? Well, he came to bring in God's reign, God's new kingdom here on earth. And we've got to step back and think a little bit about Herod's context. What was the position that Herod was in that would influence his decisions here? Well, Herod was in a very delicate political situation. The Roman Empire were essentially ruling Israel, the Holy Lands, and Herod was this puppet king who had been set up to look after this part of the country. And you see, Herod had built his whole life and was concerned only with building his kingdom. Historians from outside of the Bible tell us that Herod even had some of his own children killed so that they wouldn't be a threat to his own kingship. This is the kind of person we're dealing with here. So he hears about this newborn baby king and he's competition, isn't he? This is a threat to my kingship. Jesus is a contender to him. You see, there's this clash, there's this challenge to God's kingdom. And we only have to see this kind of behaviour politically in in places like North Korea, where political opponents are, are sent to prison or worse. But this is because of the challenge of God's kingdom coming into the world. And Herod, this king, can't stand it. You see, there's a challenge when God's kingdom comes into the world. And I wonder, does it challenge you? Does God's coming kingdom challenge us Because God wants to rule. He has sent us a king to rule over us. I wonder as you think about your plans for 2018, things that you you are looking forward to, maybe things you're scared of happening. Maybe Maybe it's new relationships, maybe it's weddings, maybe it's a new child coming along, maybe it's a going to school or university, or perhaps there are things you are fearful of. 
losing relationships, losing loved ones, losing jobs. I wonder, as we think about the upcoming year, where does King Jesus fit in with our plans and our fears? Because his kingdom does break in to our lives. But this isn't an easy decision, I'll give you that. It isn't an easy decision. And Herod shows us why it isn't an easy decision, because all of us, we like to control things. We like to control. Look at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So an angel comes and delivers God's message to Joseph, just like we saw back in Matthew chapter 1 last week. And the family are in danger, so much danger in fact, that they would be better off leaving their home country and going to another country, but not just any country, but Egypt. Now if you've read the Old Testament, you see that that Egypt and and Israel are, are, are not best friends. God's people spent 400 years in, in slavery in Egypt. Yet even them, that even they will show a better home to this new king. This is almost embarrassing to read. The beginning of John's Gospel picks up on this and helps us to understand it. It says, Jesus came to his own, came to his own, but they did not receive him. You see, we like to control God. We like to to think that we can control God and his kingdom and his coming king. And look onwards in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under. You see, Herod, try as he might, he had not been able to control this situation. He had not been able to get rid of this king. The Magi had eluded him. They had decided to worship the true king instead of going with Herod's plans. And so if Herod could find no other way, he would now try and kill any child that could possibly be this king. Now this is obviously a horrible lesson from history, but you may be sitting here thinking, what has this got to do with me? I'm not this kind of person. I'm not going to kill all these young boys. But don't you see that this passage gives us two options about how we are to treat Jesus, how we are to treat God's king. We either are like the Magi, we come to Jesus and we worship him, and we identify him as the king of kings. Or we are like Herod. Jesus, this this doesn't fit with, with how I want my life to look like. I'm not quite sure I want you ruling my life quite now or ever. You see, we have to come down on one side or the other. There is no sitting in the middle. The Bible doesn't give us that possibility. You see, we think that in somehow in, in turning from God that we can find freedom. And the psalm picks up on this point. It's asked the question, why do the nations conspire? And then it tells us in verses 2 and 3. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers bound together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. What the psalmist is saying is there is a kind of a, there's a broken, a, a faulty thinking about God that, 
does us great damage in thinking that God is just trying to tie me down. He's all about take, take, take and never about give. That there is no grace when it comes to God. But the Bible says, no, that's not true. Freedom isn't to be found in running away from God. Freedom is to be found in being with God. In worshipping the living God on his terms. If you're trying to look for freedom in anything else apart from God, it will only let you down. Only God can give us the freedom that our hearts desire. Freedom actually from the things that make us like Herod. You may be thinking that we're nothing like Herod, but as we look on, we'll see actually that's not true. You see, this God has come to bring freedom and liberation and rest and peace. Later on in in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says this, they're famous words. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the kind of king we're dealing with. This is God's king. So what are we to do with this knowledge so, of what we've seen so far in Matthew's Gospel and in the Psalms? Well, the Psalm tell us, tells us that this, it says, you kings be wise. Because the consequences of this kind of Herod-like action of setting ourselves up against God's king, of thinking that we can rule our own lives and we don't need God's help, that we shouldn't thrive under God's rule, well, those things have serious consequences. You see, God will judge those actions of the people who, who turn away from him. And we see that in horrific detail in verses 16 to 18. I'm going to read them, and please pay careful attention as I do. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod's plan to kill the newborn Jesus, this newborn king, took on ferocious horror. It was unimaginable. As he sought to to kill any of the boys that could potentially have been the child. I want us to look at a picture on the screen, and I wonder if you've seen this painting before. It was painted about 150 years ago by a French artist called Leon Cognier, who's a relatively unknown artist of the period. But I want you to look at the woman. This painting is in French called The Slaughter of the Innocents, describing the scene that we've just had described to us in Matthew's Gospel. And I want you to look at the the look on this woman's face as she tries to hide her child from Herod's soldiers as they come in to assume into Bethlehem. You see, last week we were thinking about the messiness of life and how actually we don't hide that at Christmas, but actually Christmas speaks into a messy world. I was saying we don't have to hide our mess under the Christmas tree. And I think because of this, this is one of the most powerful Christmas paintings around. There isn't a quiet baby in in a manger. There isn't shepherds and a star in the sky. But this is just as much of the biblical account as those were. 
And the artist is trying to say something with this picture. He's he's picking up on what we have described here in Matthew chapter 2. It's almost as if he is saying, if you don't think this world is bad enough, that there's enough horrible things in this world, that we need a saviour. Well, I dare you to look into the eyes of this mother and tell her that, that we don't need a saviour, that she doesn't need help. These wild eyes. But there's something else happening as well, because as she's looking back at us, there's, there's almost a sense that we are somehow guilty. Whether it's we would tell the soldiers that there is someone hiding here, but we're almost implicit in Herod's guilt. And that's what the passage is saying as well that we are not so unlike Herod. You see, we do need a saviour, not just from terrible things out there, but most of all from what's inside here, from ourselves. You see, we tend to think we're not too bad, but what happens if we had Herod's power and we were in his situation? How would we have responded? Would we have been able to have justified the action to keep the peace politically? It was a necessary evil, surely. You see, it's very easy for us to demonise Herod, kind of paint him as the, the pantomime baddie of the Christmas story. But the truth is, there's a little Herod inside each and every one of us. That unless God does something, unless God comes into our hearts and changes us, changes the way we think about his king and what he has come to do in Jesus, that we will carry on resisting him. There's a little Herod inside each one of us. And this is serious. Because as we see in this passage, Herod suffered judgment. Good verses 19 and 20. It says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the life of the, sorry, those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. You see, not long after Herod was trying to secure his kingdom and control and wipe out God's king, he himself died. You see, the one thing that Herod couldn't control and that none of us can control is how long we live. We can can try and, and prolong it, but ultimately we can't stop ourselves from dying and neither could Herod. The Bible says that people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment you see this is a warning to us not to resist God's king and that's exactly what Psalm 2 is saying as well it tells us to be wise tells us to be wise Psalm 2 verse 10 therefore you kings be wise be warned you rulers of the earth This isn't just telling us this to to rub it in our faces. This is telling us this as a warning. A warning so that people might change and respond to God's king. You see, now is the time for us to to shift our loyalties if we're living with ourselves as king, to recognise God's king and commit to him. And what better day, I don't know if you believe in, in New Year's resolutions, but what a better New Year's resolution you can make than actually 2018 and forever I'm going to live with Jesus as my king. And it's important that we make that decision and we make the right one because the king is coming. 
we're going to finish up. The king is coming. Matthew wants us to see very clearly that this king is no ordinary king, but rather he is fulfilling all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. All these things told about a king who would come. And there are three parts of this passage that Matthew shows us where Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy and he can't even speak yet, but he's already doing it. The first one is in verse 15 where it talks about Jesus being brought out of Egypt. You see, this is a prophecy made in the Old Testament, but it also happened. You see, one of the the great stories of salvation in the Old Testament is God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. But as great as that was, and as, as the millions of people were rescued out of that, Matthew was saying that actually that was pointing to something even greater. You see, God's king is going to rescue his people out of slavery. Not slavery to to Pharaoh and in Egypt, but slavery to to being Herods. Slavery to, to sin and to death and to those old ways of doing things. Brought into a much better way of being. This king is going to rescue his people. That's the first prophecy. The second one is that of Rachel weeping. Rachel weeping. That's in verse 18. It's indented in our passage. Again, another quote from the Old Testament, this time taken from the prophet Jeremiah. Now, Rachel was one of the great Old Testament uh, women. You can find out more about her in the book of Genesis. But the, the passage that this is quoted from is actually a passage all about hope. It's all about God restoring the fortunes of his people, of bringing them out of exile and back into the promised land. And I think this tells us a couple of things. So firstly, not only is this king going to rescue his people out of slavery, but he's going to bring them back into the relationship with him that they were always made for. He's going to bring great goodness out of great sorrow and sadness. But I also think that this means that God is uniquely able to console his people in their brokenness. Many of us have known that brokenness this year, losing loved ones. And many will have known the the pain of losing children too. But God knows what that is like. And God is uniquely able to console those of us who are broken. And the last prophecy comes right at the end. Verse 23, it says that he would be called a Nazarene. He would grow up in the area of Israel called Nazareth. Now Nazareth is right up in the north of Israel. And it was by no means a glamorous place to live. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be looked down on coming from Nazareth. One of the disciples in John's Gospel, when he discovers that Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, Nazareth, has anything good ever come out of there? This is not the kind of place that you would put on your CV. Yes, I'm I'm from Nazareth, that's impressive. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be looked down on, to be the marginalised, the persecuted, But this is the kind of king he is. He wasn't born in Herod's palace. He was born in a manger. He grew up in Nazareth. He is a humble king who has come to save his people and bring them back into a relationship with him. And this king, last of all, he will rule the world. uh, Verse 8 in Psalm 2 says this, 
Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You see, this king hasn't come just to be the king of the Jews. This king has come to be the king of everyone, everywhere, forever. But he's going to rule in a different way. He's not going to rule like Herod. You see, Herod ruled through intimidation, through trying to get rid of his political opponents and his enemies. This king will come to rule through sacrifice. You see, whereas Herod killed others to ensure his kingship, this king will be killed and will reign forever and ever. And one day he will come back The Bible makes that very clear. Jesus, this king, will come back not to be born in a manger and to die on a cross. He has already done that. But he will come back on a throne to rule as the rightful king of the universe. As we finish then, I want you to imagine that in your pocket you've got a train ticket. And on this train ticket, it says destination. And there's two options. One is the kingdom of earth. And the other one is the kingdom of heaven. And they say, for the get to the kingdom of earth, that is via your own rule. But to get to the kingdom of heaven, that is via the rule of King Jesus. And I wonder in 2018, what is that destination going to say on your train ticket? And how are you going to get there? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you sent King Jesus to be our king. Lord, we are sorry for the times when we try to rule our own lives. Think that you don't have our best things at heart. Lord, we pray that 2018, we pray that today, maybe we shall all make a New Year's resolution, not just for this year, but for forever, that we would follow you, King Jesus, as our king knowing that through you we would gain eternal life, adoption into your family forever. Lord, that can be a hard thing. There's all sorts of things that we we put in the way. We try to control you. We try to ignore you. Help us not to do that. Help us to joyfully receive you as our King today and forever. For Jesus' sake, amen.